Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Welcome to another summer edition of Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Barbera. Getting excited. It, it was slow burning over the summer. I had some hesitations about whether or not the NFL was even going to happen. But it's it's happening. Players are out on the field. Practice is happening. The pads are, pads are running into other pads. And I'm now into the NFL season and the Ravens specifically. I want to introduce my co-host before we get into... Uh, how all of the Ravens have looked in these first few days. Joining back at the uh, back at the DC abode, Tim Horsey. Tim, you're off the water. You're back in the in the city. I, I imagine you're not as feeling as good as you were a few weeks ago. Uh, I would say that normally, but now I got to queue up the Thin Lizzy. The boys are back in town. The pads are on. Let's go! Football is so close. It is so close. So yeah, even though I'm back in the the confines in this tiny apartment here in the swamp and not out in the, the luscious green of Deep Creek Lake, Maryland. Uh, I'm still feeling pretty good, my friend. And joining us from a new Los Angeles location, Jace Evans. Jace, uh, first of all, big moves. Congratulations. Second of all, how, how's it going and how are things looking out there? Yeah, things are good. It is uh, the hottest uh, weekend of the year this year, so it was a good time to move. Uh, it got real up there. Uh, you know, not... 
near here, but Death Valley hit like 130 this weekend, so I'm sure that's good. <laughs> um, scorching hot out here in California, but as you said, uh, made a big move, um, and uh, it's been great so far. So getting settled in, and like Tim, uh, the NFL looks like it's happening. Uh, as I furiously knock on wood, the testing protocols they go been going through seem to be at least working for now. Um, so uh, let's, yeah. Seems like we're going full speed ahead with uh, opening day on, uh, was it September 10th there? So that we, is less than a month from now. <laughs> we are three weeks plus away from the start of the NFL season, which seems so crazy to say. We are going to get into all the training camp stuff, really specific as it pertains to the Ravens. Uh, a few NFL notes later on in the show, but first we have a few... News and notes to go through, I suppose, and one is hard news and one is speculation, but we'll start <laughs> with the the sort of official news that the Ravens added Kenyon Barner, running back slash return man to the team. Barner played last year in Atlanta. I don't know a ton about this particular player. The only thing I saw was that he's going to compete for the punt return job for the Ravens and that he fumbled four times last year with Atlanta. <laughs> and if you listened to me last week, I said the only thing I wanted out of who seemed to be the only returner on this team, James Prochet, just fair catch and fair catch and don't fumble. Because that's really what I'm looking for in a punt returner, and the Ravens did the exact opposite. So <laughs> talk me off the ledge. Tim, we'll start with you. Uh, this is a great addition for the Ravens, right? I, I can't say that. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to lie to you all here on this podcast. Well, I, but I think it is, it's competition. I mean, this is clearly a role with DeAnthony Thomas no longer on the team with us that w- has to be filled, you know, short and sweet. Barner ha- is a veteran, uh, as Jace pointed out before we started recording, has somehow won two Super Bowls. So he's got that experience, if you want to put it that way. But I think this is one where... I would venture that a guy like Prochet, who we're going to mention him a couple times in this podcast, I'm sure, uh, Jeff Zarebeck, who's one of the guys at camp, has reported, looks pretty good, and we will talk about that later in the program, how much all of this means, how good people look in camp. But apparently has looked good fielding punts, fielding kickoff returns, stuff like that um, early as we record, only two day two practices in with pads, but... You have to have competition there, especially when the number one candidate before this signing was a rookie. So, you know, worst comes to worst, I think this is a a camp body that maybe they let go. I don't see Barner playing any sort of role in the offense or the run game or anything like that. But, hey, maybe he becomes a nice surprise. But, like, you, I mean, I'm, I'm completely with you, Antonio. The, the muffed punts have to stop if he's going to play any sort of role on this team. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, when D'Anthony Thomas opts out, right? It's it's the veteran insurance in case, you know, for some reason, the rookie that you really haven't seen in person until this week, more or less, uh, in case, you know, he develops the yips or something strange when it comes to returning uh, punts and kicks. You just need that insurance and competition. So, um, you know, D'Anthony Thomas was going to be that guy, and then he opted out. So this is just bringing someone in to fill that role. So I don't, uh, yeah, not too many thoughts on Kenyon Barner. He was great at Oregon, but, uh, you know, that was nearly a decade ago <laughs> since he left there. So not, uh, not too many, uh, takes outside of that, but, uh, you can never have too much competition in camp, especially I think, 
uh, when your entire camp, no preseason games, are just going off what happens at these practices. So, right, and that that's the big. Cha- I mean, that's the challenge for Barner is not having games to show that he's not going to muff pump. I mean, I don't want to make too many jokes <laughs> about this, but uh, you're absolutely right, Chase. Not a lot of time for a new addition like that to to shine, especially when there is competition. How many running backs does this team possibly need? Uh, so I would, I, Tim, I think you said this as well, I, I sort of would predict that Barner's going to have an uphill journey in, in staying on this team by the end of roster cuts. Yeah, real quickly, though, I think that I wouldn't look at it from a point of how many running backs are they going to keep because I just don't think they see him as a running back. Um, when we talk about the bigger news here in a second, a guy that's going to come up is Chris Moore, uh, who technically is a wide receiver, but he is much more valuable in the special teams game. You know, a guy like... Even Anthony, Anthony Levine, who we mentioned a couple weeks ago on the last episode of the podcast, has played a, more, a couple more defensive snaps in recent seasons, but earned his role on this team as a special teamer. I think regardless of position, you if a guy is really valuable in that third aspect of the game, you save a spot for him. You almost make him like a utility player or something like that. You don't have to think of him as a running back, a receiver, defensive back, what have you. So... With no preseason games, it's going to be hard to prove, but if Varner can kind of be a guy that really lights it up in practice and they say we have to make room for this guy somewhere, then unfortunately, you know, somebody else will suffer because of that. Let's get to the the bigger story that's come out in the last few days, which started out as a rumor, then has turned into something official. Des Bryant coming to Baltimore for a workout. Just a workout. No, no more than that at the moment, but has made a lot of waves uh, out of Dallas, <laughs> has made a lot of waves out of Baltimore. The Ravens clearly considering adding a big-name wide receiver possession, the Anquan Bolden-type receiver, however, a guy who hasn't played in multiple years. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of question marks here, but officially landed in Baltimore last night, as Bryant did. Um, and it's unclear exactly which day at the moment I think he's going to actually have the workout because some of this is delayed based on uh, coronavirus testing stuff. But, you know, let's just – I I could bring up a lot of things here, but let's just get first thoughts here, Jace, on the news of of Des Bryant coming in for a workout. Um, I get the rationale behind it because I think as someone uh, who watched that uh, last year's playoff game, they do need – something else i think in the wide receiver core outside of hollywood brown my concern and you have said it is des bryant has not played an nfl game since the 2017 season uh he was briefly a member of the new orleans saints and tore his achilles in like his first or second practice with them uh so i believe that was in the 2018 season so that kind of uh aborted that comeback attempt for him so He's had some monster and like major, major injuries and has not played in what will be nearly three years. Um, So my concern is he is a big name who is not the actual solution uh, that the Ravens probably need at wide receiver, but I can't fault them for at least taking that risk just based off the, you know, the pedigree of the team and, uh, or uh, the pedigree of Bryant, rather, and just, like, to just get competition in there at the wide receiver spot. Because we mentioned lots of rookies in the room. Uh, 
and Hollywood Brown, who we'll get to him momentarily because I am hyped on him. But I do think it's not a bad play. I just don't know if Bryant himself... I like the uh, the theory. I don't know if Bryant himself is the answer to it. I think Des Bryant at 70% automatically improves this wide receiver <laughs> core. So let's do it. I, there's a couple things with context here. First of all, I've always loved Des Bryant. Big physical receiver. Reminds you a little bit of Bolden like that. Probably more productive than Bolden in their respective primes. But obviously, as Jace mentioned, they got Anquan when he had a massive chip on his shoulder. This one will be getting a guy desperate for a job. I, I heard Ian Rappaport mention that this might be the only landing spot for Des. It doesn't seem like a ton of other teams are interested in giving the guy a workout, which is unfortunate for a guy who was a stud for years in the league or at least a couple years at his very, very peak. Um, but the top three receivers right now are Hollywood Brown, who all the hype is around, which it almost, it's almost to the point where he's never going to fulfill this hype that Ravens fans have for him. Willie Sneed, who <laughs> is fine. Is Willie Sneed. <laughs> is Willie Sneed. Like he's a, he's a decent option. I think he's a contributor, but that's about it. And Miles Boykin, who, look, we'll talk about which receivers this affects most coming up in a couple minutes here, but Miles Boykin did nothing in his first year. He had a big 50-yard catch against Seattle, and outside of that, I can't remember anything. I think he had a couple touchdowns. He had a touchdown in week one, but it was already like 50 to nothing at that point against, <laughs> against the Miami Dolphins. So I think bringing a body in like Des Bryant can only help. Now, Des has got to be ready to play in an offense that maybe isn't going to get him the ball all the time. That being said, earlier today, as we record, one Des Bryant subtweeting the Baltimore Ravens going, you can run the ball a thousand times. All I care about is winning and only winning. <laughs> Seems like he's ready to join a team that has Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, and J.K. Dobbins in the backfield with a little bit of Justice Hill. But if you don't, if you remember in 2018... Des Bryant rejected a multi-year offer from the Baltimore Ravens. Different circumstances. They didn't have an MVP at quarterback. But he rejected a multi-year offer because he wanted a very big, fat payday in one year. So it seemed like he only wanted to prove himself for a year and then maybe hit the market again. Things have clearly changed since then. Injuries have has affected him. The Ravens have become a hot spot in the league and and one of the, if not the most talented team in, in the league right now. But I, after all of that said, and apologize for rambling, I think I'm, I'm on the other side of Jace. I'm for it. Bring Des Bryant in. Now, Ravens fans are going to have ridiculous expectations for him. I don't even think he's going to be bolden at his peak in, in a purple jersey. But I think a shorthanded guy to make sure that a guy like Seth Roberts isn't out there trying to catch passes in a playoff game can be nothing but good for the Ravens on the right deal if he's willing to accept that peak years for Bryant 2012 13 14 he had 1300 yards 1200 yards 1300 yards receiving those three years the touchdowns 12 13 16 even in 2017 which was his last year with the Cowboys still had 830 yards and six touchdowns and over a 16 game season a fraction of that would be helpful for the Ravens in, in the particular makeup of, of this offense. I mean, we're, I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're just talking about a workout and the Ravens have done this a thousand times and then nothing comes out of it. But the only sort of 
thing I, I would be concerned with is adding a guy like that who then is going to take spit. You, you went out and tried to fix this problem through the draft. You have guys in the room who you want to take this role of set, whatever you want to call it, second wide receiver, third wide receiver, um, between DuVernay and Prochet. So adding like an over-the-hill veteran to the mix is just going to end up being like a TJ Hushmanzada situation late in his career where you have 40% of a guy's ability. So we'll see how he looks in this workout. I I had to ask, my brother-in-law is a big Cowboys fan, uh, Texas native. I'm not going to pretend he's like a DC guy who loves the Cowboys, like actually grew up in the Dallas area. And so I tried to, I, I'm going to bring it up because I, I said I would I'd talk about it on the, on the show a little bit here. I would text him back and forth, you know, asking for some hot takes on, on Dez coming to Baltimore. And the first thing he said was, well, number one, Dez caught it. So I almost dropped the conversation right there because the first thing he wanted to talk about was Dez with the controversial uh, playoff drop in Green Bay that ended up changing the, what a catch rule was for like the 12th time. So I, I had to skip past that point. Number two, which I also loved. They say Dez has been working out like crazy. Best shape of his life, which we'll get into in the uh, the, tra- the training camp part of this section as well. Uh, and number three, the Cowboys have the best wide receiver core, wide receiving core in the league, so they don't need him. All right, Steven, like, let's calm down. You have one good receiver and a rookie that you got in the first round. So I don't want to talk about the Cowboys on this show, but I wanted to bring up this point. If Dez is in the best shape... Uh, that he's been in a long time. Welcome to Baltimore. You're going to be great on third and five, and that's what I think they're looking for here. That playoff loss still stings. They want a guy with good hands who can body a a defensive back and get open um, when they need a a clutch first down in the air. Tim, uh, you got another another point? Yeah, I just want want to push back on you a little bit because I I get it, and and the whole best shape of his life thing is why – I've tried to, even though it's been nearly impossible. You saw the clips on Tuesday about Marquise Brown bodying and then torching Marlon Humphrey off off the line of scrimmage, which we'll get to with our quick camp impressions. The best shape of his life stuff is is a little ridiculous. Everybody trying for a job in, in any sort of competitive sport will say that. But first of all, last year's Ravens wideouts totaled 1,419 yards total the fewest for that position since the 2011 Jacksonville Jaguars. That team probably went like 2-14. and 14. <laughs> Exactly, which is, again, it wasn't what they did. Clearly running the ball was their main objective, and their offense was revolutionary. So I'm not, not sitting here complaining. But it's certainly something that can be improved on. The only guy that they have right now that kind of fits the body type of a Des Bryant, I'll say two guys, I guess, are Willie Sneed, Des Bryant, again, at 70% is better than Willie Sneed. I'm sorry. And Miles Boykin, who, again, hasn't done much. Third of all, I love the fact that the Ravens are stoked about getting Devin DuVarnay in the third round. Harbaugh wax poetic about it. it was one of his favorite picks, yada, yada, yada. But this is the Baltimore Ravens we're talking about drafting wide receivers. They have not <laughs> shown us. They've shown us once, and it was Hollywood Brown. They've shown us once that they can draft a competent NFL wide receiver, and that guy was a first-round pick compared to DuVarnay's third-round pick. I, For a team that has a window that is Lamar Jackson's rookie deal, I would rather have a veteran in the room and have a rookie get a chip on his shoulder that says, I need to beat this man out to get reps, than not have the guy in there at all. And all again, all of this with the caveat that he is – 
he is in the best shape of his life, or in shape, we'll put it that way, and that they can get him on a friendly deal, I think there's there's no issue with a guy who, in his own opinion, probably feels shunned from the league a little bit, feels like he hasn't gotten the respect he deserves, had, feels like his injury luck has really hurt the tail end of his career and wants to join a team where he can get a ring. I want that guy in the locker room. I want another guy like that in the locker room to even help these guys. Look, let's say DuVarnay completely beats him out, and by week eight, DuVarnay is the starting slot receiver. If he can go to the sideline and have Dez there, if Dez isn't pouting about not playing, who knows at this point? Noted, I mean, guy... noted uh, locker room stud, Dez Bryant. <laughs> right. There's there are some question marks there, but but in terms of being a veteran presence. I think that can only help the younger guys, the receivers, um, that, you know, in crucial playoff games might be called upon if Dez doesn't work out on the field as much. So the more I'm talking myself into this, but you have to also remember that the expectations should be set relatively low if he comes in. This is not X-Factor Dez coming in immediately to this Ravens offense, but I think it would be an improvement either way. Jace, I want to turn something to you here, and this is, boy, maybe I'm like digging a little too deep, but the only, the, the real wide receiver free agent noise that we heard earlier in the summer was this interest in Antonio Brown, in Lamar Jackson loving Antonio Brown, uh, in Antonio Brown's cousin Hollywood Brown loving Antonio Brown, and the opportunity to bring him in, give him a chance, you know, he, this, is, this is the right locker room for that kind of guy. And then all of a sudden, first of all, there's no noise of that from the Ravens front office at all. And then all of a sudden, a guy like Des Bryant comes in the building. What does this type of workout, do you think? Does this say anything to the Antonio Brown noise? Are these two things related at all? Are we eliminating Antonio Brown from conversation? Does Lamar Jackson, does he sort of maybe get the hint here that Antonio Brown's not the answer, even if they are looking for another wide receiver? Yeah, I, I, I think it's exactly that i think it's kind of even if des doesn't work out it's you know antonio brown's been there all along and it's clear like they made no overtures to uh to bring him in and uh i believe i forget what the length is he's eight game suspension for brown if any team does sign him um so i think for a team like the ravens especially you know we've talked about it in like the wake of the ray rice incident scandal what have you that uh, I just do not think they will ever, ever, uh, bring someone like Antonio Brown in, uh, no matter how much their players like them. Uh, and as you mentioned with Dez, for all his, uh, gr- uh, grumbling about not getting the ball and stuff, he doesn't really get in trouble at all off the field. It's all, his stuff's all more on the field <laughs> related and within the team's, uh, stuff. So he seems like, uh... You know, I think in terms of Antonio Brown, I think even just bringing Dez in kind of should shut that down for good because, you know, they've had their opportunity to bring Antonio Brown in and have chosen not to. And I think for good reason. I think he's probably more trouble than as even though clearly Antonio Brown's more talented than a hasn't played in three years, Des Bryant. Uh, I just think, yeah, this, I think this move is the full sing, uh, front office being like, hey, we're not citing Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah, the most noise you heard about Antonio Brown came from Lamar Jackson. It didn't come from anybody in the front office. And the noise you heard from Lamar also came with the caveat of him rightly saying, but it's up to the front office. We'll see. 
and that was it and the front office has not said anything <laughs> also quick quick look and i could be wrong here but quick look it looks like nobody on the ravens wears number 88 so not saying it's a perfect fit but pretty damn close all right we're at the about the 20 minute mark here so i think it's just about time let's turn to training camp let's turn to positional drills and which players in the greatest shape of his life and who which wide receiver looks great with the toe tapping drills and the sidelines i am embarrassed a little embarrassed to admit that this morning i was like firing up the work you know all the work and the, the laptops and everything and i saw like on twitter that the ravens were broadcasting their practice live and i absolutely just watched youtube live as they had the ravens drills and they were sort of showing different drills and lamar jackson throwing like fade routes to wide receivers covered by linebackers. It was fun, and I got into it, and that's part of the reason I'm so excited about football happening now is seeing Ravens players in pads running running routes and stuff. So we're going to go through a few position battles here. We're going to talk about who looks good. We're going to get way overly excited about how players look. Uh, so let's start. And before we go to the specific position battles, let's do a few minutes first. Guys, what are your first impressions here as as uh training camp really gets heated i've got three and again i you were doing more research i, I don't think that's bad at all you were doing research <laughs> for pod like a raven the number one source for all ravens news and notes um based on reports and things like that apparently the defense looks incredibly fast and in the very first play of 11 on 11 the first man to make a play darting into the background a backfield excuse me to make the quote tackle was a man named Patrick Queen. And as soon as I saw that, I went, yes, please. I need 10 to 12 years of that from you, sir. Thank you very much. Um, We'll we'll talk about Hollywood. I I won't wax too poetic (laughs) on him because I know both of you would like to share your thoughts. Um, But one underrated thing, Matt Sakura is practicing. Yes. (laughs) He is back. Been cleared to play. (laughs) Matt Sakura, who tore pretty much every everything in his knee late in the season last year has worked his way back and is practicing in full drills. So a huge boost for one of the position groups we'll be talking about a little later. Um, I thought that was a really good takeaway. And outside of that, I mean, apparently JK Dobbins looks pretty good. People are saying looks like another 27 that used to run the ball for the Baltimore Ravens, which is good to say, but Jace, I will turn to you because I do want to talk about Hollywood Brown, but I had to start with defense and the offensive line. So I will let you go on the wide receiver who looks a little different this year. Oh, man. He looks like he has been lifting big this offseason. And I watched that clip of him just destroying Marlon Humphrey so many times uh, this morning uh, as we record just – had it on a loop here. Uh, I will say real quickly, Jay, sorry to jump in, but if you are listening to this on Wednesday morning, if you go to Pod Like a Raven on Instagram and you go to the Instagram story there at Pod Like a Raven, you can click on the post to see that. We've posted that on our Instagram story. And let me tell you, Marlon Humphrey does not look like the best cornerback in the league <laughs> on that play. And it's all due to, to Hollywood Brown. I know. That was the thing with that clip. It's, it's, it's the hands, the strength to create the separation, and then just the speed down the sideline. I know we've talked about him, you know, some of the driveway footage of Hollywood that's emerged over the offseason of him catching balls with the jugs machine and like the driveway there down 
uh, South Florida, but uh, uh, he looks great. And I know we talked about, you know, he had the, the, the screw in his foot and uh, did that hold him back from, you know, he was on and off all uh, all season, basically, just kind of hobbling off at various times. But he looks way bigger physically. Uh, and if he can bring combine that with his speed and if, you know, the size helps perhaps with durability, count me among the people who are getting way too excited for <laughs> him this season because yeah he he's my number one camp takeaway so far i've been really impressed with everything i've seen out of him for sure if training camp footage is uh the stuff of overhyping driveway footage <laughs> is the stuff of legend in terms of how much we know of what it means but i agree with you 100 percent, jace I, I think hollywood looked great then and he looks great now he would I mean, if we had to, I mean, he had a good rookie season, relatively speaking. Uh, I, you know, you'd vote him like a seven out of ten for a rookie wide receiver season. If he turns that to an eight out of ten, nine out of ten, that's going to be so important to this offense, based on how he can stretch the stretch the defense when the rest of our wide receiver core is struggling to get open uh, on a second and third down. The other guy, Tim, I loved in in this uh, practice session that I watched this morning. J.K. Dobbins absolutely looks awesome. He looks so fast for the size. It's just one of those things you see these players and you think, oh, that's like a break tackle guy. And then you see him run around and he blazes by a linebacker and you say, oh, he has both of those things. And I think that's why that uh, number 27 comparison has been made a few times already is the, just the blend of those two things. I cannot wait to see him uh, in a little bit more action. And another guy that we've heard of sort of late here is Nick Boyle. And with that, I want to start getting into the position battles here. So let's start with tight end. Um, in my notes, I, I, had, I wrote you know the, the battle for the third tight end spot, but let's back that up a little bit. Mark Andrews is the pro bowler. He's the guy... Uh, Hayden Hurst, no longer in the building, traded to then get J.K. Dobbins. Nick Boyle, currently the number two tight end. And then on the bubble, there are these three names. Jarrell Adams, who the the Ravens added a few weeks ago, who is basically a question mark. Uh, Charles Scarf, and then Eli Wolf. So I want to get your guys, Tim, let's start with you. Thoughts on how this tight end battle is going to go and where Nick Boyle fits in terms of maybe being closer to number one than to number three. Well, again, from everything that we've heard and reports, and I won't reference everybody, but Jeff Zarebeck, Luke Jones, Jamison Hensley, Athletic, ESPN, uh, WNST, what have you, uh, respectively. Nick Boyle apparently really impressed in day two, and it's a guy that if he can add more, you know, I think he caught his first touchdown last year, and he might have had two or three. If he's a guy that can add any sort of production from that end, that is a huge boost for the Ravens because Hayden Hurst was very much more in the Mark Andrews role. Nick Boyle is that blocker, but what I kind of expect them to do in terms of a lot of their base packages where they have the three tight ends in there is you almost make Ricard, Pat Ricard, the fullback, your third tight end, and then you can throw a double backfield of Dobbins and Ingram with Lamar Jackson. Stop it, Tim. I mean, look, if, if I'm Greg Roman, I'm not Greg Roman, I'm just saying. But Nick Boyle does have to add a little bit because they like to use at least two tight ends so much. He has to add a little bit of pass-catching prowess, and it seems like he's doing that. Again, with the number of receivers that they've added and 
if Des Bryant, even without Des Bryant, apparently Duvarnay torched Marcus Peters a couple times in practice. <laughs> so he could be a guy. Maybe they go more three wide out this year than they did uh, last season because they have more names in there, more guys that maybe they trust a little bit, especially as the season progresses. But I don't know too much. I'm not going to sit here and try and wax poetic about the guys competing for the third spot, but but Boyle needs to step up and become the definitive number two, um, not only as a road grader, which he clearly is, but also as that pass catcher. And again, and we keep keep putting this uh, tag on it without trying to overhype it. The early signs look pretty good for that. I love your Ricard idea, Tim, and this circles back to the idea of maybe bringing in Bryant because I don't know how much three tight ends we will see this season because, uh, you know, you you run through that list of names of who is in the competition for the third tight end spot. Pretty anonymous group, and I don't think a group, like, no disrespect to those players, I don't think you need those guys in the mix necessarily a ton. I think, you know, as an offense, you want to get your best players on the field as much as possible. And uh, I think to that end, you know, we might just see two tight ends because now they don't have the luxury kind of of having three great, like really solid tight ends. They have two good tight ends and that's, you know, us hoping Nick Boyle maybe takes an, an even further leap. I do like Nick Boyle. He's obviously a very good blocker and pretty essential to what they do. Um, But to your guys' point, too, like, they do need him to step up because, you know, we talked about last season Hayden Hurst, you know, kind of being – the idea – I guess we talked before he was traded. The idea that he was kind of an expendable piece with, uh, you know, Mark Andrews' uh, ascendance. But he was still – pretty high on the the, uh, the uh, receptions list. I'm pulling it up uh, here now. I believe he was third on the team. Yeah, Hayden Hurst was third on the team in yards last season. Um, so, to be some guy we consider fairly expendable, that doesn't seem super expendable, um, to be honest. So, I, I, I don't know how much... I think we might see a change in kind of scheme, or if, if uh, you know, Ricard... Um, either more in a tight end role or just out of the backfield. Uh, but I, 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 cause I, I can't see them just being like Jarrell Adams. You're prominently involved in the Ravens now. I just don't see it. So I, I think it's fascinating to see who even ends up in that spot. And I think even more interesting to see how that changes, you know, the Ravens we saw last year. Cause we did see three tight ends a lot <laughs> and I don't, I just don't you know I it's hard to imagine that being this exact same again well real quickly here's the interesting point on that too I mean Greg Roman knows he can't sit still because defensive coordinators are going to do everything they can to figure these guys out and it almost forces his hand of having to adjust and having to change and I think we were going to see that anyway but the fact that they got rid of Hayden Hurst and turned him into J.K. Dobbins is you still expect the running game with the abilities of the quarterback as well to be be dominant, but it's going to change the way they execute that as well based on the talent they now have in different areas. I love that our backup tight end was third on the team in receiving yards. That says something yeah. about how last season went. I don't know if I want to even say the number of yards. It's kind of sad, honestly, but he was third. I'm going to over-under it being less than 400 yards. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Last note on the tight ends here. The 
I, I don't think this has been brought up yet, but the question of depth with Mark Andrews having had some bumps and bruises so far in his career is, is the concern for me here. If Nick Boyle is the Nick Boyle that he's been for his entire career up to now, and you have Mark Andrews get hurt at any point in the season, the tight end room looks a, a bit thin there, even in a one-game situation and for, for pass catching based on how much Lamar loves throwing to tight ends as we saw about uh, Hayden Hurst being uh, high on the team in receiving yards. So we'll see how that shakes out. I'm not even positive that there isn't another tight end addition before the season is out for the Ravens. I feel like that's a type of position that you can get somebody late uh, and and plug them in as as a backup type role. So we will see how the tight end position continues over camp. Antonio, maybe they thought where Dez, when he said best shape of his life, he's really just gotten bigger. And now he'll be the second tight Tim, end. Tim, if the Ravens run the ball a thousand times, Des has no problem. So you just put him you put him on the end of the line, you have him right. block in all different spots. You'd be fine. All right, <laughs> let's turn now to one of the more fun conversations about who is gonna make this team and I guess more specifically, what is the order gonna be? And I'm talking about the backfield. I'm talking about the running backs, who's starting, who's second, who's third. Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, and now Kenyon Barner. Not to mention Patrick Ricard as the the fullback defensive end. There are a lot of guys in the running backs room, in in the meetings room, and I want to talk to you guys who, I I guess we know the order to start the year, but let's play a game here eight weeks into the season. What is the depth chart list for running backs on the Baltimore Ravens? J.K. Dobbins first. (laughs) <laughs> I think I, I'm very, very excited about J.K. Dobbins. Uh, and I think, you know, I think you don't select a running back in the second round. I believe he was, what, the third running back off the board, even? Um, close to something close to that. In the top five uh, of running backs off the board, if you're not going to use him a lot. And we obviously we talked about, you know, running is key. And Ingram's on the other side of 30 now. Um, but I think they just want kind of his dynamic play and how, you know, maybe make him the workhorse. And then Ingram, probably a better pass catcher, you know, certainly more experienced, kind of as a compliment to him. Um, but it's fascinating. I mean, you imagine Mark Ingram starts the year. He's the respected veteran. Everyone likes him. Uh, but I could see, you know, Dobbins slowly over the course of the season kind of, you know, gain the majority uh, of carries. Uh, we kind of saw a similar thing. Ray Rice, wait, going way back to Ray Rice's rookie year, he kind of, you know, Willis McGahee was the entrenched starter, and Rice really came on, and then he did get hurt late in the year, and that was kind of when the LaRon McLean show started rolling there. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's Ingram's job to start, and then, uh, you know, Kind of, I think it's just wait and see until how long Dobbins overtakes him. I will defer to Jace on knowledge of Dobbins being the guy who watches way more college football. You know, everything we hear is that it's just stupid that the Ravens got him where they did. Um, and not to make this podcast boring, but I will agree to a point. I think Ingram, if he plays like he did last year, I don't think anybody's taking that job from him. I thought he was great. Um, He's you talk about a locker room guy. I mean, transformative type of locker room guy. I think by the start of next season, 
if everything plays out as expected, it's going to be very hard to not have J.K. Dobbins as the number one, especially with Mark Ingram, who will be in the final year of his deal at that point. So I think at at minimum, I guess, or at, at the latest, I should say, at the latest, J.K. Dobbins is your week one starter next season, not this upcoming one. Tim, I think you hit the nail on the head with the running backs uh, in an earlier segment. And I'll compare this. My metaphor here is let's look at the Chiefs offense. And everybody talks about the Chiefs wide receivers. And it's who do you guard? Who do you double? How do you even try to minimize their aerial attack between Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCall Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Demarcus Robinson? There are so many guys there who burn you, and that happened when the Ravens played him. I think McCole Hardman had like a gigantic game against the Ravens, and he was their fourth option on most plays. I think that's what's going to be what happens with the running backs. I, 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 I'm, I'm like salivating with the thought of Lamar Jackson uh, like in the pistol, in the shotgun, next to m- multiple of these guys in the backfield at the same time, Ingram and Dobbins. Gus, uh, Gus Bus and Ingram on a third and one. Like, who, who do you want to tackle in that particular play? I think a lot of them are on the field at the same time, and I think it's going to be absolutely terrifying for defenses to try to figure out who has the ball, number one, uh, and, and how to scheme against it. The next position group that I think is interesting to go over is the offensive line. Uh, I was going to say the interior offensive line, but the depth at tackle is another conversation <laughs> worth having here. Ronnie Stanley, Orlando Brown Jr. Those are the guys entrenched at uh, left and right tackle. And then there's a lot of sort of names. And I don't, I don't think it's quite positive because of injury, because of talent, uh, because of being a free agent acquisition. Who is actually going to be definitely starting between the guys like Bradley Bozeman, Tim, as you mentioned, Matt Skura, uh, DJ Fluker, who was brought over from uh, Seattle uh, during the offseason, and then a couple of rookies who, who we're not sure exactly where they're going to fit. So I'll, I'll turn to you guys. How do you see uh, this offensive line position uh, playing out as, as camp goes along? I think when they break camp, it's Stanley, Bozeman, Sakura, Fluker, Brown. Um, I think Fluker is another classic case of best shape of his life. Apparently he is... <laughs> He's slimmed down a ton, which I don't know if I love from an offensive lineman, but the guy is still a mountain of a man. Another guy I just want a quick mention here on the other side of the ball. Talk about mountain men who are mountains. Calais Campbell and all six, eight of him standing next to other people uh, on that on the just in uh, training camp is insane. Like, you know, he's big, but you don't really see until he's up against like Orlando Brown is another guy who's supposed to tower over people. But anyway, yeah, sorry, Jace, go ahead. Well, just quick on Campbell. The most, the second most exciting clip outside of that Hollywood one was just watching Campbell work uh, through some of the blocking dummies. <laughs> I was very intrigued. Uh, watching double, that. double digit sacks for Campbell on the defensive yeah, line. Very Book excited. Um, but yeah, I think after that, the depth is interesting. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, a guy like, uh, Tyree Phillips, who was going to compete for a guard spot, did play some tackle in college. He's almost, as as a number of reporters have pointed out, he's almost going to be forced out of the starting guard, right guard, which is the one spot that nobody really knows quite yet. He's almost forced out of that conversation because they need a backup tackle. Um, look, I've mentioned it a number of times, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but this is the positional group that could make or break this season for the Ravens. 
Um, if they remain consistent, and even if there's there's going to be a drop off because Marshall Yanda's not there, but as long as the drop off isn't too significant, the Ravens will be okay. If it is significant, the Ravens are in serious trouble, and this whole Super Bowl contender thing. I'm telling you right now, you can throw it out the window. Nobody talks about the offensive line in the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, it's the teams with the best offensive line are doing the best in the league. I mean, look at the Niners. Look at the Chiefs last year. I know they have transformative talent all over the field and in other positions, but it's the offensive line that is the most underrated aspect of a good football team. So it's a massive question mark. Matt Sakura coming off a huge injury. How's he going to perform? If he can't perform as well as he did last season before that, can Patrick McCarry really be that guy under center? Or are you moving a guy like Bradley Bozeman over? If you don't move Bradley Bozeman over, is Bradley Bozeman the left guard? The inaugural episode of this show, we're coming up on the year anniversary, I questioned that move at left guard. I thought that he was not going to be good enough to be a starting left guard in the National Football League. He proved me wrong. Can he do it again? Um, DJ Fluker. He was a free agent for a reason, you know, and he slimmed down all the talent in the world, clearly. But who knows? Who knows? I'm not worried about the tackles outside of injury. Knock on all the wood you have in your apartment right now as you're listening to this. But that interior of the offensive line specifically, I think it plays out Bozeman, Sakura, Fluker by the time we break camp. But then... You know, for the two, for the left guard and the center, it's can you do it again? And for the right guard, it's how much of these shoes can you fill from the soon-to-be Hall of Famer that is Marshall Yonda? I agree with you, Tim. I, that would be, I think, you know, barring injury, the five you see come out of camp. Um, and the, the, the tackle, the depth behind the tackles is fascinating because I do think the Ravens probably have – if not the, just the outright, probably just the outright best tackle duo in the league. I mean, they both made the Pro Bowl last year. Um, but, uh, you know, if one of them goes down, you kick Fluker outside, I don't know what you do. Um, so, uh, you know, because Fluker began his career as a right tackle, but it, you know, didn't go great. That's why he plays guard now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so there are, I, I don't, uh, you know, you have questions about Sakura's, uh, Sakura's health um, uh, coming back from such a bad injury. And Makari didn't look bad, but, you know, he was an undrafted free agent. So who knows um, with him, kind of. But, yeah, that middle is a big question mark. And I, I still like, if it's the five we said, I still kind of think they're going to be okay entering the year. But you certainly, you know... I mean, especially with Skura, he, he, uh, he, I was at the game. He injured his knee. It was the Monday before Thanksgiving. Like that is crazy. And I believe he was ACL, MCL, PCL. I think he got like all three of them. Uh, and so for him to be like practicing again is kind of insane. You know, it's not even what, nine months later. So, (laughs) uh, or just about nine months later, but, uh, yeah, so st- still a lot of questions with him. It's obviously great to you know, see him healthy and back, uh, and obviously rehab went pretty well for him, or seemingly well, but you still don't know if he'll kind of be able to match the level of play he was at. Um, and Bozeman, you know, still not 100% sold on the guy, <laughs> certainly. Uh, he does, I think, we know more about him than, you know, the two rookies they drafted, uh, Phillips and then uh Ben uh, Bredesen out of um, Michigan being the other kind of guards 
centers they drafted, uh, interior linemen. Uh, but I don't know. I'll just, <laughs> I I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. Do not be surprised if this is the, one of the positions they try and upgrade after camp cuts. Yeah. They've done it before. Um, and I would almost guarantee that they do it again. When some guy becomes a cap casualty, aging veteran becomes a cap casualty and wants to win a ring and can back up Ronnie Stanley at, at left tackle. I was going to say, if one of the tackles goes out, they, they kick Fluker out to that position and then start making some phone calls to Marshall Yanda to see <laughs> if he's interested in, if skinny Marshall Yanda is interested in playing a few games at right guard. But, Tim, I think you're right. I mean, they've done it so many times before. That's why camp exists, right? You see how good the players are on your roster, and then you make cuts and, and add where, where necessary. Let's talk, you know, we've touched the, the, the return battle already a little bit. I don't know how much more there is to say between Barner now and Prochet, maybe Justice Hill, but that's just going to be, you know, see who plays best, basically. We thought it was Prochet's job to lose. It may still be that, um, considering Barner doesn't have a ton of time here to show that he's significantly better, but uh, we'll, we'll update that as, as we continue along here through camp, but... Tim has a, a great note here, so I'm going to turn to you on this one, Tim. And it's looking at the Ravens' secondary, specifically the corners. And this it's a, it's a better note specifically even because recently, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Amon Marshall, who is a reserve corner, uh, you correct me on that, I don't think he's a, is he a safety or a corner? He's a corner. A reserve he's corner, a... Um, had a major injury, and he's out for the year. This is the second year that, that he's had a major injury, so he's really having a lot of trouble um, sort of getting that NFL career started. And with that, the the cornerback slot is, is a li- you know, you don't want to say thin because of the guys at the top of the list, but then there's a question mark at three or four. Uh, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, one of the best duos in the league. Uh, and then after that, you have Jimmy Smith. He's dependable, and he's dependably injured. And then the real question <laughs> of Tavon Young. So, Tim, I mean, this is, it's a great point in here of, we don't know a ton with Tavon Young at this point in time. Yeah, it's interesting. Remember at the beginning of last year, we talked about the Ravens secondary and how it was going to be a strength. The Ravens built from the back. It was great. I can't believe they did it this way. And then they got a couple injuries and they started getting torched. And then they brought in Marcus Peters and everything. The ship was righted again. I worry if that happens again. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier. The defense apparently looks incredibly fast. They were beating the offense in two-minute drills in the second day of practice. Marcus Peters with the most Marcus Peters line ever of saying, every ball thrown is a 50-50 ball, which <laughs> the, that dude's going to get beat on so many double moves this year because he had a Pro Bowl year. It's just he, he got ranked way too high in the NFL Top 100. He makes the Pro Bowl. He's going to get just torched this year. I can feel it. But you bring him into the conversation, right? An up-and-down player. Great season last year. Nobody can deny that. If he falls back down to the, his, his middling performances a little bit, Tavon Young, who was regarded as one of the best slot corners in the league, coming off a major injury, how is he going to fare? Um, you talk about Amon Marshall, he's out, so Anthony Everett is, is stepping in, who had a miserable 2019 before he got put on the bench when Marcus Peters came in. So you think ideally – when you're playing three corners here, you're probably going to put Humphrey in the slot or you're just going to put him against the best guy. Because The only reason you put him in the slot is because Jimmy Smith is better on the outside. You put Jimmy Smith on the outside and you put Marlon, or, uh, uh, Marcus Peters excuse me, on the outside. 
But the fourth corner is a thing in the, today's NFL. You just talked about the fourth option for the Chiefs torching the Ravens because they have all those options, all those speed, all that speed, all those weapons. If Tavon Young is back on form, that's great. You have four really good guys there, but I just worry about a guy like Tavon Young coming off an injury, especially when you talked about the quote-unquote third corner, and outside corner to slot corner is a different position. But your third corner is Jimmy Smith, who, God love him, can't stay on the field. All that being said, if you get even 12 games out of Jimmy Smith at the Jimmy Smith level, that could be one of the most underrated re-signings of the season because of the depth he for, provides there, you know, especially who knows with Tavon Young. And, and, and again, I worry about Marcus Peters. Everybody loves Marcus <laughs> Peters because he came in and he was dominant. He was a dominant corner. I mean, it's simple as that, but the guy was traded for a fifth round pick in Kenny Young or fourth round <laughs> pick in Kenny Young for a reason because he is a very streaky player. And let's just hope, you know, it, he continues to trend upwards in his second season in Baltimore. I don't have too much to add, but I, I definitely have concerns, uh, especially, you know, I corner here amongst your positions, you know, doing the most running, uh, especially I think susceptible to injury. And we've, we've gone, we've talked at length over just the course of this podcast about Jimmy Smith's injury woes over the years. So um, it definitely could unwrap to what degree. I mean, I think, you know, I think we have some faith in your Chuck Clarks, your uh, um, your Earl Thomases to tr- kind of paper over some of those mistakes. But like you said, we had Earl Thomas uh, at the beginning of last year as well, and things did not start out great uh, when they were giving up, what, 600 yards to the Browns or whatever? Right, so. right. I don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking because it, it can definitely come off that way. But these are things you have to look at. On paper, it looks great. Tavon Young. PFF grades him like the top slot corner in the league before he gets hurt. What a what an amazing pickup that is. In theory, yes, but you never know how these guys are going to come off injuries when you have an all-pro in Marlon Humphrey, a great player. Was, was Marcus Peters all-pro too? I think he might have been. I think he did. Yeah. yeah, but a guy who is known for being streaky, a guy who can't stay on the field in Jimmy Smith, and a guy coming off injury. There's Those are... If we're nitpicking on this roster, on one of the best rosters in the NFL, those three guys behind Humphrey are question marks. It's just that's just how it is. Any other roster spots that that you guys have have bones to pick here? Uh, the only thing I'll say is you you mentioned Earl Thomas, Jace. For me personally, I mean, the, I think the guy made the Pro Bowl last season. I didn't think it was his best season I, I didn't think it was one of his top four or five seasons based on how good he was in Seattle I thought he looked half a step slow for the majority of that 2019 season so that he's he's on my list of what guy I want to see show up at the beginning of the season and indications indications are from coach uh, John Harbaugh that uh, Earl Thomas is in great shape best, best shape he's ever been in so he's he should be looking good early in the season. I would like to note all three of us, best shape we've ever been in. Uh, we're ready for this. We're ready for this NFL season. A lot of heads being shook as I as I say this. But listen, we're in the best podcast shape that we've ever been in uh, and, and looking forward for this Ravens season. But I, I'll turn it to you guys one more time. Any other uh, little roster spots that, that you've been looking at? I will say for as much as I nitpick the secondary, it's still a, a very, very strong unit. 
but I think it has the potential to be outdone by the boys up front this year because I cannot wait for the Derek Wolf, Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell defensive line. Brandon Williams and Derek Wolf probably won't put up those biggest stats, but just to watch them over and over abuse offensive lines and free up guys like Patrick Queen and LJ Fort or Malik Harrison, whoever starts next to Queen, to run through the, those holes in the backfield and make tackles in the backfield, whether it be sacks or hit the running back, whatever it is, those boys up front are going to be a problem. You know, Eric DaCosta upgraded the secondary to, all, I guess, last offseason. And this offseason, because of the, the abuse that Derrick Henry laid on the Ravens' defense, he upgraded the defensive line. And we've talked about it over and over again, but I can't wait for those boys. And then anything they get from Matabuke and Broderick Washington Jr. as well, the two rookie defensive tackles coming in, rotating through with Brandon Williams and Wolf will be, will be great. But, like, I mentioned it a little before. P- putting Calais Campbell in a Ravens <laughs> uniform – he might go down as one of in the in the Anquan Bolden, Steve <laughs> Smith, uh, Eric Weddle category of this guy should have been a Raven all along. By the end of all this, and we'll see where it ends, Calais Campbell might be the top guy on that list because I think he is going to be a force for the Ravens. I'm very excited for him, and I just you listing out those names tim has convinced me that uh those guys are gonna just free up uh matt judon and he's gonna have like 17 sacks this year and then some team's gonna sign him to a huge free agent deal that isn't the ravens uh doing that (laughs) uh i look forward to watching that (laughs) so uh i'm i as i said watching calais campbell just run drills they had him on the mic'd up talking about how fast lamar jackson was big fan uh, looking forward to it. And uh, this isn't a competition because we know he's number one, but I do have to say my one final train camp thing that's made me excited was uh, watching Lamar Jackson run the ball. Um, <laughs> maybe obvious, but uh, he had a few plays where I'm like, oh, I like this. This is uh, one of my favorite things in sports right now. So, uh, yeah, it just made me really hyped for the season. So I'm excited uh, that the camp's underway. You guys address the importance of the defensive line. They better help Matthew Judon get sacks because there's not a lot of depth behind him. And the last thing I'll whisper before we uh, get onto the random Raven is Jadavian Clowney, still available. <laughs> <laughs> As we get closer and closer to September, the market Price for Jadavian Clowney down. is just shrinking more and more and more. And he, for some reason, is, is still available. Uh, and I will close this episode and he'll sign with the Patriots in the next 20 minutes. But for now, still available. <laughs> All right, that was a lot of fun. I am so excited for Ravens football. So let's go back in time now a little bit. Jace's turn for the random Raven, uh, and we'll see if Tim and I and the listener can can figure out who you have for us this week. Don't think I have the hardest one, but it's a fun one. Uh, so uh, number one, this player was originally drafted in the seventh round of the 2008 NFL Draft by the Seattle Seahawks. In addition to Seattle, this player appeared in games for the Colts, Texans and Jaguars before arriving on the Ravens. The best season of his career came in 2014, his first year with the Ravens, when he rushed for 1,266 yards and eight touchdowns. The Cal product is fifth on the Ravens' all-time rushing list after spending parts of three seasons with the team. And then final clue, his number with the Ravens, 29, has subsequently been worn by Marlon Humphrey and Earl Thomas. What year was he drafted? 2008. 
Oh, I'm a little, uh, I'm going to need some time on this one, to be <laughs> honest. I'm not, uh, what year, what are these years? I, like the dead zone of Ravens, <laughs> Ravens football. This, this, this is, is another guy, this is the theme. I think last week's Random Raven might have been in this theme of like, oh yeah, that guy was a great rusher for the Ravens. <laughs> I, I, I have it now. At first, at first I was going to say another guy who wore 29. I was like, the, the years and the teams do not match up. But now, now I've got it. Yeah, yeah. Also, just did the whole AFC South circuit, basically. Just that guy loved, <laughs> loved playing that, in the AFC South. That should be a massive clue, Antonio. Yeah. This, this guy had uh, so not to go too deep down the rabbit hole, drafted by Seattle. They cut him in camp. He pl- was signed by the Colts. They cut him after a few weeks, and then Seattle just picked him right back up, for, and then he spent several years with Seattle. So that's a little extra clue. Oh, but, I forgot about his Seattle okay. career. I forgot that he had a Se- like Seattle <laughs> years. But yeah, yeah. yeah it okay. was like, uh, I guess pre-Pete Carroll is why. Right. It's kind of... Right. Okay. I, th- I think I have a name now. I'm, phew, that was a... Thought I was still uh, not in the best shape of my life anymore, and couldn't come up with <laughs> the, the former Ravens player. But I think I have think I have a name. All right, let's turn now quickly to the NFL. Just a few things to go over here, and then we will get out of here. But number one, sort of a, a nice like human interest story coming out of the NFL, coming out of a franchise that desperately needed a positive <laughs> human interest story. And that's Alex Smith cleared to play for the Washington foot, Football Club, Washington Football Team, one of those. Um, unclear exactly how much playing time he's going to get, what his role is on the team, but a guy who has been out pretty much two entire seasons um, with the absolutely devastating leg injury that then turned into a like a serious infection post-surgery that... It was a situation where he was possibly going to lose his leg, or at least a part of it. Um, then they got into the whole, you'll never play football again, and he's come all the way back around. Uh, so some positive news out of Washington on Alex Smith. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on uh, on that story. It's, it's insane. I mean, I don't know if you guys watched the Project 11 documentary, but his leg was not in good shape. Uh, it was, uh, you know, he said, nearly amputated. It, it got super infected. Uh and the surgery work they had to do on it, it was so bad that he actually got, uh, I believe, like, clearance by the U.S. government to go down to Texas to, like, their one of their, like, medical hospitals down there where they treat, like, blast injury victims because it was, like, his leg was in such bad shape um, for just rehab and consultation and stuff. Um, and, like, yeah, no, that was... It, injury was November of 2018, and I, he's been you know, cleared to play football again, which is absolutely astounding. I don't know if he should or if he will, but um, just the fact that he's even at this point is, I mean, a testament to him and just all the hard work he put in and stuff. So it's incredible, really. There's not much else to say about it. (laughs) Elsewhere in the NFL, a few tight ends got paid uh, over the past week. And I wouldn't bring this up, but I will because there's a question that ties into the Ravens star tight end Kittle getting paid by the 49ers five years 75 million Travis Kelsey getting four years 57 million as an extension uh apparently Zach Ertz is like next on the list to get some money so I ask you guys with Mark Andrews where he's he's not in the you know the echelon of of Kittle and Kelsey I would say but where would you guys place Mark Andrews in the sort of tight end tiers 
and I ask this with sort of the the trepidation of he's another guy that the Ravens are going to have to pay at some point. So how much are they going to have to pay Mark Andrews? Well, not only some point, but if if the contracts run down at the same rate, they're going to have to pay him the same time they pay Lamar Jackson. Um, I now, Jace, correct me if I'm wrong here. Because he was a third round pick, do they still get to pick up an option on him, like they will Lamar? Or no, his him? contract is uh, four years. Only okay, the, so, uh, I, I think I believe only the first round picks are a guaranteed fifth year. Option. Right. Okay. So then it would be the year before, which makes it even less likely because they need to save money. I wonder how much his injury history will be a blessing in disguise for the Ravens when it comes to the negotiating table of saying, hey, look, first of all, you're not Kittle. Kittle, as I believe Jace put in our text group, is Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle put in one, but also better. Um, he's he's not Travis Kelsey either. But you know what he is? He is Lamar Jackson's number <laughs> one target. And it is... Third and six, you can almost guarantee who's getting the ball. It's Mark Andrews because he's open. Now, again, we've talked about at length the number of options that he might have compared to the the last two years of playing uh, and being the starting quarterback for the Ravens. But I find it hard to figure out what the market will be. I will say this, though. I'm, I almost am glad that the market's being set now and not right when they had to sign him. Because maybe the numbers will go up and the cap goes up as it usually seems to do in the NFL. Although, who knows with the pandemic and everything we're going through at the moment. But I, I, it, it's tough. I, I still think that if this team is a, is a winning team and, and they maybe have a championship or two under their belt by the time this comes up. Either Andrews takes it one way and goes, I've won my titles, now I want to get paid. More power to him. Or he goes, I want to be part of something special here. Um, because... The fact of the matter is they're not going to be able to pay him this. Um, I don't know how the Chiefs are doing this, where they're just paying (laughs) Mahomes and Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey all this money. It's remarkable. It really is. And it's it's great work by their GM to be able to, to, to get all these contracts and really lock up the guys who are the most important. All credit to Kansas City there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback for the 49ers. That's why Kittle is so important and why he makes so much money. Um, I think Zach Ertz is, is a great player as well. But with Andrews, I think it's really hard to tell because of where his contract lines up with the superstar that has to get paid um, and his injury history, too, because it's not good. It's spotty at, at best. Yeah, I think between the injuries and I do think in in he is just less dynamic. You know, I think he is in that second tier because he's less dynamic than – I mean, Kittle is – unbelievable i mean he 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 really he's like an offensive lineman who also has great hands and it's just a a baller i I, for my money he's the best tight end in the league and then kelsey i think is a more dynamic pass catcher probably than andrews still um he's at least has the track record for it uh since he's gotten into the league um so i do think andrews is a step below those guys but you know someone's got to catch the ball like we've said so I I don't I think uh, I do think they will try to re-sign Andrews, especially if he's a guy Lamar particularly likes. I think to your point on the Chiefs, and then I think we've also seen this in the past with the Saints. Is I'm convinced the NFL salary cap is like fake because there never seems to actually be real reper like. When's the last time a team like tried to re-sign a player and like couldn't? It doesn't seem like it's a thing. They just restructure these contracts for like 
20 years and like Ben Roethlisberger contract has been restructured by the Steelers like 15 times uh <laughs> whatever they just need to free up some more money uh so I the NFL I think even amid a pandemic with you know who knows how many fans will be in stands this year it, seemingly more than I expected at least per some teams but uh still you know certainly revenue from gate is going to go down this year but the NFL, I think, their TV contracts are so monster that this is a league that just, you know, keeps producing money. And the salary cap is just going <laughs> to keep, maybe not skyrocketing anymore uh, in co- due to COVID-19, but certainly is still on the rise. So I do think generally cap concerns, while they are, you know, the Ravens are going to have to shell out perhaps the biggest contract uh, to a left tackle in the league and Ronnie Stanley here. And certainly Lamar's contract's going to clear $200 million following that Mahomes deal. Um, but uh, I think even with those, we they probably have more flexibility they think than we think. So, like, if they want to re-sign a player like Mark Andrews, uh, they can, unless, you know, a team like Jacksonville just <laughs> doubles or, his, or gives him George Kittle money. And then you say, well... You're not George Kittle, so <laughs> sorry, Mark. Best of luck. <laughs> I love the note about teams. Just yeah, this the salary cap. Just it seems like this big thing, and then these teams always figure it out. And also, Tim, <laughs> how the Kansas City Chiefs are doing any of this when they're paying their quarterback the value of a Fortune 500 company? It's it's very confusing to me <laughs> how these numbers work. But then again, I uh, did journalism and not like finance in in college, so that uh, what, what could have been. Uh, and that's why we're broadcasting to the 30 of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the last thing I just a quick note is, is what Jace brought up for a second there is how, how many people are going to be in these stadiums? The, the numbers seem to change every week. Uh, the Ravens have first, they said 14,000, yeah, then it was down to like 7,000. <laughs> Some stadiums have said no one. Some stadiums in other parts of the country are probably going to say more than, than 14, 15. The last report I heard is that as of now, opening night, the the September 10th game, will have fans in the stands. Uh, it's that for now. We'll see as we get closer to September. The NFL has done this really just day by day with not a lot of heads up uh, weeks in advance. So I'm sure this will change yet again. But, you know, it'd be nice to see fans in the stands, I guess. It'll be very, very weird to see little pockets of three or four people in stadiums that are normally full, but it is going to be something to adjust to as the season continues. Do you think that would actually be weirder if there's just like... So for now, the Chiefs, I believe it's like 22% capacity is what they're saying they're allowing for the opening night game, Um, which is, I think, roughly like 16,000 people in Arrowhead Stadium in a stadium that seats 76,000. Do you think it'll be weirder to just have these pockets of, like, people spread apart rather than just no fans at all in this cavernous stadium? Or uh... It'll absolutely be weirder because people are going to run like kids in a candy store. It's going to be <laughs> madness. They're going to be running through sections. They're going to be trying to jump down to the front row. It's going to be st- – it's just going to be stupid. Just – Look, I, I, as you know, anybody, uh, loyal listeners who are out there, my, my day job, I work in soccer, who have done a very successful job coming back, and they have not put fans in the stands. And 
It's they've done a, a really good job, frankly, with it. There's this whole debate about do you like crowd fake crowd noise? Do you hate fake crowd noise? I say just keep the stadium empty and fake crowd noise. If if that's the safest thing, if it's safe enough to put fans back, certainly do that. But but I'm almost at the point where I'd rather have them all in there or just none of them and just pump some noise in, like or or just play music while they're playing. I don't know, do something like that. People will complain to start, but then those people will also realize, oh, wait, we still have football, so who cares? Well, and I think we could look to the NBA. I think the NBA has done a really good job in their restart. Um, you know, they're fanless, but I think their presentation's been really good. Now, I don't know how you can – because the NBA, these arenas they're playing in down in Orlando are small anyway, so they're able to, you know, tarp and do the, this, the fan screens. I don't know how you pretend if you are and say I know I know the Patriots are saying the uh, uh, Massachusetts I guess has basically said no fans through uh, at least the first month so like Foxborough is not going to have any stands for uh, September I don't know how you can like just hide the fact that your stadium's completely empty on an NFL broadcast I mean I guess they'll just tarp it and uh, put ads on that but it will be a little strange but I kind of am with you in that I actually think having some fans, but just super spread out over a 70,000 seat stadium will look a little stranger than no fans at all. Um, which I guess brings up a second point I had for you all or question rather is should the NFL just say no fans or some fans? Cause it's clearly leaving that decision up to the teams and that's mostly being left up to the States and as we've seen with coronavirus kind of across the country, uh, that has been a very uneven response. And I think we know the states that Jerry Jones has said there will be fans, you know, at AT&T Stadium. And it being the state of Texas, that could be in as much as 50% capacity. And does that, you know, that seemingly, if you go down to, you know, a 100,000 seat stadium that is allowing, you know, even... I don't know, 25,000 fans in the stadium. That seems like a little more advantage than a team that has literally no fans there. So I wonder if the NFL should just like step in and have a blanket policy or what. I don't know if there's a, if you guys have thoughts on that. Well, Jace, how they are going to handle it is going to be wrong, whatever they end up doing, just because (laughs) of how the NFL tends to operate (laughs) with these sort of decisions, because you're absolutely right that it could can, this could end up being a competitive imbalance based on what state your team is located in. It's frustrating to me because they haven't been able to... I, I've talked about this on the show already. They've had months and months and months to address this, and they have very, very few answers as we get to the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, I think stadium, some stadiums are going to have way more fans and some stadiums are going to be empty. And then teams will complain about it and the NFL will try to change things on the fly. The other issue that's going to be they haven't really resolved yet is if there are empty stadiums, the crowd for the soccer that, that Tim mentioned, the crowd noise is for the broadcast only. It's not on the field. But for the football games, they haven't decided yet whether or not the stadiums will be allowed to put noise onto the field, which is also going to be, you know, how do you monitor one stadium's noise versus another? I remember there was this, like, controversy a long time ago that the Indianapolis Colts used to blast (laughs) extra crowd noise on top of the fans that they had. The NFL's not going to handle it correctly. That's my one (laughs) sentence, because they've not been able to take a stand on very many things so far. Uh, So we will see uh, over the next few weeks as we get into September. Um. 
with that, the last thing I want to mention, and then Jace will have you do the, the Random Raven reveal here, is quickly our schedule for the next few weeks. We are going to do one more episode with a two-week uh, break, so we'll be back on September 1st, uh, which is, the yeah, we'll, the episode should come out on September 1st. And then after that, we are going to go back to our weekly schedule because we're going to be right on the doorstep of the NFL season. So look out for us September 1st and then September 8th with what is going to be one of our more fun episodes, and that is the season preview episode. We're going to have some over-under win numbers for you. My hot, just spiciest take at this point is uh, if there aren't many fans in the stands, just you just hammer those overs. You take the overs all over the place because without the defensive crowds to impact the offenses, points are going to get scored. But we will have more in-depth information for you on those two things or in the next two episodes before we get to week one of the 2020 NFL season. So with that, Jace, why don't you give us the random Raven clues one more time and then we will get on out of here. Yeah, so this player was originally drafted in the seventh round of the 2008 NFL draft by the Seattle Seahawks. In addition to Seattle, he play, he uh, appeared in games for the Colts, Texans, and Jaguars between 2008 and 2013. The best season of his career came in 2014, his first year with the Ravens, when he rushed for 1,266 yards and eight touchdowns. The Cal product is fifth on the Ravens' all-time rushing list after spending parts of three seasons with the team. And then final clue... His number with the Ravens, 29, has subsequently been worn by Marlon Humphrey and Earl Thomas. Also made a Pro Bowl with the Ravens, which is one one of the more unlikely Pro Bowl guys, I think, in Ravens history. And if you don't mind, Antonio, it is Justin Forsett. It is, yes. I loved him in his brief time. I mean, mostly from that 2014 season, he was, you know, kind of pressed into duty suddenly. Uh well, the, he was signed late in camp uh, as, you know, the Ray Rice saga a scandal unfolded uh, and then ripped off a Pro Bowl season, uh, one of the better rushing seasons in Ravens history. Uh, you know, I was stunned looking through their football reference today to see he is fifth on the Ravens all-time rushing list. You know, it didn't seem like he was there that long, but yeah, he was so good in 2014. Uh I remember he had, uh, I don't know what his yardage total was, but he had a monster game on Monday Night Football against the Saints that year. I remember um, that being really fun. I think the first time the Ravens had ever won at the Superdome, maybe. Um, or certainly one of them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, Justin Forsett. Very random, very good. Uh, as Tim said, probably the most random Pro Bowl player the Ravens have ever had. So. <laughs> And a very important Raven, as you touched on, Jace, in terms of if the Ravens didn't have a guy that first season to take over that running back position, I could just imagine the like fan turmoil that there would have been about the decision to let Ray Rice go, which is just a whole can of worms. But when you are able to plug somebody in who makes you forget quickly about a, a player like that, it, it certainly helped the team get over that at the time. So... A fantastic Random Raven. A Pro Bowl Random Raven. And with that, uh, we're going to close things up here. We'll be back in two weeks to get right in September. September means football, and that's when we'll be back next. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. See you in two weeks.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.